Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Hey folks, Jason Moore here. Today we're going to dive in on how to effectively use various tools to enhance the coach-client relationship, especially when that relationship may be primarily online or from a distance. Um, These tips also can apply to pretty much everyone from health practitioners to high-performance coaches. And Dr. Mike T. Nelson is joining us for this show. Um, Mike has a PhD in both heart rate variability and metabolic flexibility. He's known for his success in online coaching with everyone from average health seekers to pro bodybuilders and strength athletes. Um, and he, he gives a great overview of his background in the episode, so I'll leave that to him. But here are a few of the topics that we cover. Um, we talk a lot of, of course, training and, and online coaching using heart rate variability, blood testing, various wearables, sleep trackers, kind of the pros and cons of those devices, um, how to identify or identifying different metrics to use with different clients why it takes some clients a long time to understand and realize the value of heart rate variability, Um, the effect of self-quantification on self-awareness, which is Mike has some really awesome points about that topic specifically, Um, and also certain patterns in HRV that people just don't seem to understand and what those are. Uh, Also patterns of undertraining. Um, because overtraining is a topic that comes up quite often, so we talk undertraining as well. Um, the fallacy of self-diagnoses, the power of accountability, and uh, also why online coaching specifically makes it easier to overtrain than in-person coaching. Um, and then uh, many other topics. We also talk <clears throat> what affects HRV more, nutrition, training, or sleep, and and a whole host of other things. So. I'm really excited to have Mike on the show. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Mike. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Oh, thanks for having me on here. It's always always a good time to chat HRV. Yeah, I know. It's uh, <laughs> I definitely spend a lot of time on the subject, and I know you do too. In fact, I just watched you on another uh, a live stream presenting on the subject, uh, which was really great. So I appreciate you take the time. Why don't we start off with a little bit about yourself and how you got into heart rate variability? Yeah, so some of my short version is I did a Bachelor of Arts in Natural Science, St. Scholastica in Duluth, Minnesota, eons ago. Decided to go into engineering, so went up, did uh, two years post-grad stuff at Michigan Tech, in the UP of Michigan, where all the UPers live there, and then after that, decided to do my master's there in mechanical engineering. So another two and a half years there. And that's probably about as much math as I ever thought I was going to have in my entire life. So got done with that. And I actually started working for a biomedical device company, which I had. They did uh, cardiology products. So I ended up working there for a total of almost uh, 14 years. Finished, decided that I was never going back to school after almost eight years of full time. And that lasted like a year and a half. <laughs> so I was doing a PhD program in biomedical engineering. And I took that for, eh, took all the classwork pretty much except for two classes. 
And I remember sitting in an MRI class, and the professor said, we're, we're now going to derive all the equations that are used in an MRI. And he starts drawing, just looks like, you know, hieroglyphics up on the board. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and I'm, I was the only, you know, sort of mechanical biomed person there. The rest were, you know, PhD students in electrical engineering or physics. And I asked the guy next to me, I said, do you, do you even know what he's drawing up there? He's like, No. I went, oh my God, if the, the PhD in physics doesn't know what's going on, I'm hosed. So at that point, I had been thinking about for many years going back for exercise phys, dropped out of that program, started that fall actually in the exercise physiology program, uh, which then later took me seven years to finish that. And the first day meeting, my advisor came in and said, okay, we've got two new projects. Uh, one of them's on heart rate variability and one of them's on metabolic flexibility. And he's looking around the table and he points at me and he goes, ah, oh, you, you're new math boy. These are your projects now. Since most people in exercise phys don't really take a lot of math per se, it's just not one of the prerequisites. And so here I ran over to the department to run away from math and I ended up getting more math, but a lot more physiology too. So it, so it worked out. And then, um, so yeah, I've been measuring it uh, using different devices online for about four years now in the distance training uh, program I have for clients, and then uh, published some research on HRV and energy drinks and some other stuff. Very cool. So um, that kind of just leads me into now you have an online business and you take clients online, and um, is that the, the primary way that you kind of use this stuff now? Yeah, so... I initially started training like back in probably 2006 now, so almost 10 years ago. By training, meaning that I actually charged people for services. I'd spent probably 10 years before that doing random stuff for free and all sorts of crazy things. Um, And then I stopped actually online training uh, for a couple of years, probably in the late, like 2008, 2009-ish maybe, because I... I soon realized that I didn't know what clients were doing. I personally didn't have enough experience training people like live in person to know how they were going to screw something up. And basically just didn't have any experience, didn't have any way of really measuring anything other than what they were telling me. And even back then, you know, online training wasn't, you know, uber popular like it is now. People didn't have, you know, fancy video cameras and all their phones. You had to buy this old thing called a video camera that was separate this is even before people remember like the flip cams and the flip cam like it was revolutionary, you know. Um, so I stopped doing it, and then once I started doing HRV for research, and a few years later you could start measuring HRV on a smartphone. So I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So I started doing that on myself, and then later went back. This is probably five years ago now. Uh, revamped all my online training so that I had a way of accounting for mechanical stress, I could get videos, I could now get HRV in terms of stress response, uh, I could do you know different blood tests, that type of thing. So I basically kind of went back and redid everything, and I had more experience of knowing how people move, what things they probably need help with, that type of thing. Um, so for me, I think if you're even now training people online, I think HRV, as far as I'm concerned, should be like a requirement. Right, because you have people will tell you about what's going on, but I think just having the ability to look at a physiologic response of their nervous system, I think is just extremely useful because you're not really seeing them every day. You know, if you're in a gym, you can probably get by with not having to use it as much, 
Uh, I still think there's some good uses for it because you see the person each day, you have an idea of their state, their movement, that type of thing. Uh, we're online. I think it's, in my biased opinion, should be more of a, a requirement for online programming. Cool. That's that's really good insight. And thanks. I didn't even have to prompt you for that because I think that's hel- <laughs> <laughs> it's really helpful to people to kind of hear that um, that online having an online relationship with a client is feasible. But it, it's even more feasible if you're actually getting some objective data and feedback. And HRV, like you, you mentioned blood markers and things, HRV is not the only thing that you look at. Um, what are some of the right. other things that you look at with some of your clients? Yeah, so what I do is I also use uh, at-home blood tests that looks at omega-3 and omega-6 content. So it'll actually run every single uh, lipid panel. Uh, it's from Dr. Doug Beavis. Um, what I really like about that is that it tells me basically kind of their fish oil status, so essential fats. Um, so I do use that. You know, some people I have used like um, glucose monitoring, things of that nature. That's not typical. Um I record all their uh, training sessions or volume, density, and intensity. So basically different forms of overload. Um, Whether it's through an app or self-report, they can record their HRV. And then also how is their energy, how's their sleep, uh, how's their mood, things of that nature. And then in some people, I haven't done it a whole lot yet, uh, you can use a device like a push device and actually measure velocity of movement. So if someone's doing more Olympic-type lift and variations, the nice part is I can get that data and give them sort of a velocity cutoff that I want them to meet on each rep. So it ensures that the quality of work is a little bit higher. They also get the feedback uh, from it. So in some people, I found that that's useful. I don't use that in uh, everyone. Um, and then just simple stuff like I have a basis watch, but, you know, um, Fitbits, that type of thing. So daily steps. I don't really use the caloric burn stuff from I don't think it's all that accurate, and we can discuss that later if you want. Uh, but step count, super accurate, and then uh, sleep. So even just have an idea of when they went to bed, kind of when they fell asleep, that is something that they're not recording per se, it's just getting it from the device. Um, so those are kind of the main ones I use that I find are the most useful. Very cool. and. Yeah, we definitely kind of prioritize when, you know, for our users and whatnot, that if you are tracking our HRV, it becomes much more meaningful if you have some other things to compare it to and some other contextual Mm -hmm. information. Um, So it's neat to hear that in your actual practice that you've kind of come across the same experience and that you find use in doing that. So. um, Yeah, and obviously tracking their nutrition through MyFitnessPal or something like that, too, of course. Cool. So um, you have a, a, a variety of clients that that you work with. Uh, do you use all of these metrics with all of your clients? Like you kind of mentioned it works. Some things work better with others. Um, how does that kind of pan out? Yeah, so the answer is no. It depends upon their tolerance for measurements. <laughs> yes. um, so I like stuff that is collects data without you really thinking about it. So what's super cool about you know Fitbit or Basis or whatever watch you use is you put it on and it'll collect data for you. And if they will allow me access into their system, I can go in and pull that data automatically 
Or you can use API that'll report it to other things, that type of thing. Um, HRV is a little bit more intensive because they actually have to sit down and do the measurement, which is fine. You know, it doesn't take that long. They have to log their food, you know, and they still have to go in and do that. Um, training, I just have them log it in a notebook usually. And sometimes I've even had clients just be like, hey, just log it in a notebook and send me a picture of it. I'll, I'll take it, I'll write it up, get it typed up, enter it in the database for you. So whatever I can do to make it as easy for them as possible, because I want them to focus on doing the correct actions, not necessarily trying to track and keep tabs on everything in their life. But we need some basis of you know how their sleep is, what are they doing for training, did they do the training, what do they do for nutrition, and what's their stress level. Uh, blood tests, things like that, yeah, once every couple of months or at the most. Uh, Velocity-based stuff, probably more for more advanced athletes only. Uh, someone's pretty new, doesn't matter quite as as much for that. Um, but the nice part with technology is that everything's getting easier and easier. And if someone could develop an entire system where all those things would seamlessly cooperate and collect it autonomously and I can just log into one spreadsheet database and I don't have to go through and pull data from like two, three, four different sources, that would be amazing. I don't, I don't have any hopes that's going to happen anytime soon. So in the meantime, what I do is um, just put stuff on a trend sheet. So I'll go in and pull my fitness pal. So we'll drop that in there. I'll take their HRV resting heart rate. We'll drop that in there. We'll grab their Fitbit data drop that in there so we can see overall usually like on a once per week basis i'll go in and review it how's their training how's their self-report data okay where is their macronutrition what's going on and then see what we need to work on oh oh, okay looks like you're really low on protein every monday why is that oh it looks like you don't recover quite as well the next day then or looks like oops i kind of uh blew you up a little too much with the training on Wednesday. Sorry, we'll scale that back a little bit or whatever. So it's it's a cool way because you you have accountability. I'm trying to keep the work as minimal on their part so they're just focused on doing it. But we can then see all the different trends over time and intervene sooner instead of going, well, you know, it's a 16-week program and then you check once at you know day one and then 16 weeks later you check in. Well, you could have been... Who knows where in between, right? So just trying to make sure that they're always kind of staying on course. Our, my experience corroborates what you're talking about, about the willingness of the client to track a number of things. And you could, of course, spend all day tracking everything. But at the end of the day, it's, yeah. you know, that could even be stressing them out to the point where it's affecting their training or, or their health. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And I had one uh, client who was a pretty high level uh, fitness competitor. And when I last talked to her, she actually went and did not track anything and was weight stable. So in her case, to me, that's like a huge positive, right? Because she'd spent many, many years being very regimented, which I totally get, you know, if you're going to step on stage and that type of thing. Yeah, at some point you probably need to do that. But it was very cool to see that she was able to move away from that and still stay, you know, exactly where she wanted to be for her goal weight. So I think tracking in general is good. I'm a bigger fan of the awareness that tracking provides. Of course, I'm a scientist guy. I want to see the data from it also. Um, but I've had people just track stuff just purely out of awareness, you know, because they don't really know what they're reading or what they're putting in their cake hole, you know. And so mm-hmm. 
they're not going to change anything until you get them more aware, like stress, right? Most people, you ask them, you go, are you stressed? Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. You know, one client, she, she's very type A, very stressed. Oh, yep, no, no, no stress, no stress. No, nope, not stressed at all. <laughs> I'm like, I, I think you're pretty stressed. <laughs> Until by talking to you, you're pretty stressed. And you measure HRV, resting heart rate some days would be 81, 79. HRV would be 39-ish, 42. So, and now she's doing much better. You know, now she's like, oh, yeah, oh, I, oh, yeah, I want, oh, okay, I see that. Um, so I think that's what's most useful. Yeah, that objective insight really helps a lot. Um, but I do like what you mentioned about awareness, and I think people uh, people kind of end up on two extreme sides of that coin. Um, in your experience, has the objective measure uh, been more helpful or more confusing for the client? Yeah, I I still do it, and I've been doing it online for, like I said, for about four years. So I think it's super helpful. Now, if you ask some of my clients who they've come out and just told me this outright, uh, most of the time they're like, I don't know, this little HRV thing you had me do, I just did it, I don't really understand it, I don't get it. And then a couple of months into the program, they're like, oh, oh, that was so cool. I'm so glad that I I. I did it, right? So pretty much at the end of it, they're all happy. Most of them continue measuring it. Um, I think the people that don't measure it are usually the people that want to kind of wish away everything else. Like, oh, you know, it just doesn't tell me anything useful or, oh, it tells me I'm the same all the time. So, for example, if your HRV is really low and it's telling you that you're the same all the time, I would argue that what you're doing if you're trying to get a better HRV or you're trying to improve other things that, that result in a better ability to handle stress are not working. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> if you're not seeing a change in your marker, now granted we'd still use performance, whether it's endurance performance, resting heart rate, whatever, we'd use other markers too. And consequently, if your HRV is good, let's say you're at 80, your resting heart rate seated is 51, so it's really good and it's just flat every day, you probably push your training a lot harder, right? You know, you can probably, I'd start adding some more higher intensity stuff. I'd, I would look initially to see what is your overload? Are you doing more volume, better density, more intensity, or lifting a heavier weight? Because you probably have some capacity to do that and you're just not using it, even though your HRV is not changing. So I still think it's useful for myself, because I've been checking it on myself off and on for five, six years, probably something like that. I was doing it in the lab. I'd run down to the lab in the morning uh, when I had the equipment before we had portable measures, and I would do it then. Um, I find it's most useful as almost like a check valve. As left to my own devices, I'm like, oh, just listen to more death metal, drink more coffee, and just lift more weights. Everything will be fine. you know. And then it's, it doesn't go so well <laughs> at a certain point. Um, but now if I look, so kind of like today, if I look and go, well, you know, today's average is lower than what I want. The overall score is a little lower than I want. I feel okay. So eh, instead of doing a harder session, I may just go out and just do some lighter aerobic stuff. You know, I'm going to purposely pull back and then know that, okay, hopefully tomorrow will be a little bit better. And then I'll go a little bit harder tomorrow, you know, instead of trying to drink three cups of coffee and just try to force myself through the session. 
And a lot of times you can do that and get good performance, but I've known, because I've sadly done this a couple times now, that if you burn and torch yourself out, it is quite a long process to get back from that. And if people really do like to train, the hardest part is to try to get them to modify that a little bit, so paradoxically that they can actually train more in most cases. But you still have to be kind of moderate about it too. HRV allows me to look and go, okay, I, I just can't really talk myself out of a measurement. So if it stares at me and says, okay, it's kind of low, I can also then kind of rest assured a little bit that, okay, I, I am making the right decision. And so the little voice in the back of my head that says just drink more and train harder <laughs> will kind of be a little more quiet. Well, that, that's good feedback and good uh, information for people to hear too And is that you know, starting out, it can be kind of confusing, especially those first few readings. You're like not really sure how to interpret the results. Oh, yeah. And uh, over time, the more data you kind of accumulate, the, the easier it is to really see uh, the value of those changes. Yeah. Along those same lines, do you recommend that people uh, only measure on the days that they care about? Or because like we get... You know, some people only go to the gym twice a week and they're like, oh, I just measure my HIV on, on gym day and I ignore it the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. um, what's your take on that? Yeah, so I get, so, so one of the objections to HRV, right? And, and I understand that coaches are like, well, I've got a person who's just kind of new to training. They're only training two days a week. I don't give a crap if their HRV is red. I'm still going to train them because they're only training two days a week, right? And I only have them for 60 minutes. So on, on the one hand, I get that, right? Because, you know, you can't just have them come in every day and let's just go belly breathe in the corner for an hour and call it a training session, right? They, they probably don't have much of any strength training. That's probably the only time they're going to do it is with you. However, I would argue that you may be able to modify it a little bit more. So maybe you have them do what I call the old school dude bra bodybuilding, you know, hypertrophy type work which anecdotally doesn't seem to be as stressful. They're still getting a response from it, especially if they're new. They're still definitely going to gain some strength. They're still going to put in a lot of muscular work. Um, so I would measure it all the other days because there's probably something in their lifestyle that is only enabling them to train two days a week, and maybe half of them, they're not even really that good to train that day. So that would tell me that something probably in their lifestyle is completely out of whack. Whether sleep, overall stress, breathing, nutrition, movement patterns, whatever. Something's going on. And if you only measure it the day of training, you know, even in the literature supports this, right? You, if you're only measuring two days a week, you don't really have enough information to make hardly any changes at all, right? So I think doing a daily measurement, I think if I remember the last literature I read said, I think you need a minimum of five or four out of seven days or something like that. But most days, I tell people, just try to get every day. If you miss a day here and there, it's not the end of the world. Um, but most days, and then I look at what are the other lifestyle factors I need to work on. So if it's, I only sleep five hours a night, all right, so now your goal is to be in bed by 11 instead of midnight. <clears throat> we'll watch your behavior on that. We'll look at your sleep, and then we'll see, oh, does your HRV get a little bit better, right? So if it does... Then you have that nice sort of positive feedback loop where the client goes, oh, I don't feel a lot better, but hmm, my measurements are getting a little bit better. So it tells me I'm moving in the right direction. 
And that's what I found for lifestyle change is the most useful, uh, especially with things that people just like sleep and nutrition always write off. Oh, my nutrition's great. Well, you know, I don't sleep as much as I should, but ah, it's okay. I'm fine. You know, I, I did that for many years too. You know, but to have an actual number that stares at you in the face every day that says, nah, maybe not so good. And then vice versa, when you start doing that behavior, most people have such a massive sleep debt that sleeping in a, you know, an extra hour a night while helpful may not change their sleep debt dramatically. So they may not feel a ton different. But if we can show physiologically that they are moving in the right direction, then we get that positive reinforcement. They're more likely then to, oh, let me try 10.30. Oh, let me try 10 o'clock. Oh, wow, and I'm getting closer to sleeping eight hours a night. Oh, I feel more like almost a normal human now. I don't know what I felt like before, but I was that was horrible. <laughs> you know, so it it's so hard because it, neurology is basically very much a comparison. You know, and if you've always kind of moved like crap and felt like crap, you know you should probably feel better, but you don't know what that feels like, right? So there's not as much incentive to really change per se. Now a quick word about our sponsor, hrvcourse.com. If you're looking to take your usage of heart rate variability to the next level, check out the educational video courses over at hrvcourse.com. I'm one of the contributing instructors, and so are some of the experts you've heard on this podcast. Don't forget, listeners of this podcast get a 10% discount on your first course using discount code ELITEPODCAST. Courses are only open for enrollment at certain times of the year, so check it out today at hrvcourse.com. And that's something that, uh, to me, was like a huge awakening, not even related to HRV, but just when I actually first started actually learning how to eat right and how to sleep at night and be awake during the day, because I was a, a, a night owl yeah. previously. Um, you know, uh, some people have this kind of uh, response is like, well, if you had just told me how I would have felt, I would have done this from the beginning. But, you know, it's like, okay, well, you, we can tell you, but you just have no way of understanding it until you actually experience how you can feel. And I have an idea on that, too, not to interrupt you, but, and I know people are already doing this, and someone will take this idea, and if you can make a ton of money off it, by all means, you know, send me a check in the mail or whatever, whatever. Um, if you could pull people out of their environment and have them do like a three, four, five, seven day retreat. And there's, there's various different methods of these that already exist and then get them to feel dramatically different in a shortest amount of time possible. I think, and I haven't looked at the research on this yet. I think the behavioral changes will stick much better. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you could just put them in a, you know, even if it's for three days, right? We have a chef that comes and we make all your food. You get up, you do your meditation in the morning. We walk you through your exercise. We teach you about nutrition and stress management and all this other stuff. We maybe measure your HRV. And by the time you leave, let's say Monday evening, you feel so much better from all the cumulative things that you did. Hopefully you'll start taking some of those and, and sort of moving forward on them. Um, and I know different things like that kind of already exist, but you're trying to get that, again, that comparative state in as short amount of time as you possibly can. Yeah, and, you know, not to go too far on this stuff because it's so it's such an interesting topic to me personally, but, 
Um, I think that the way you could take that to the next level is have someone go to their house while they're on the retreat and clean out all of those cues that, that trigger those negative bad habits and uh, yes. so that when they come back with that fresh and excited mindset, they don't have all of those kind of like uh, triggers that are, you know, habitually like that maybe the drawer they keep their cigarettes in or something. It's just like every time they walk by it, it's kind of like a subconscious trigger. Oh, like I just normally I reach for one or something like that. If you could remove all those triggers during that retreat, I think that would be like the, the biggest winning solution but yeah yeah no i agreed clean out their fridge of all the crazy food that they had and you know they'd have their little meal plan already you know set up and no i i totally totally agree with that so you said a couple things that i want to recap and, and i think are really powerful uh one is the awareness part of it and how you mentioned like oh you know i sleep fine but then when you actually start tracking it um, you can gain some better awareness of, oh, maybe I actually only sleep five hours max, you know, and, uh, and how that affects mm-hmm. HRV. And then one of the uh, interesting studies that I've read shows that as far as following a, a diet plan goes, is that one of the biggest contributors is to the success of any diet is just the fact that the person is now actually aware of what they're eating. Mm-hmm. And... So like you said, doing some MyFitnessPal tracking or something, some people get kind of antsy about that because they're like, oh, what does it matter the exact calories or the exact macronutrient ratios I eat or something like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, depending on your goals, maybe, you know, to the gram, it doesn't really matter. But the, the biggest uh, importance is that you're actually thinking about it. Yeah. And you work with someone that's going to hold you semi accountable, too. You know, that you have to show your data to somebody else, right? And that you're much more likely to follow through on that, whether it's a online coach, in-person coach, a friend you have a bet with or whatever. You know, it's it's definitely increases your rate of success. Yeah, definitely. I'm a big proponent of coaching and um, people, you know, ask, oh, well, you have this HRV app and but then you tell me that I should work with a coach and I say well yeah I mean it's useful if you measure it yourself especially if you're the type that really likes to geek out on research and stuff like that it can be useful to you but in any goal you know regardless of what you're tracking or whatever having somebody else help you and just give you that objective third-party kind of view especially if they have experience working with other people who've already gone through similar situations is just huge yeah no i Totally agree with that, right? And I think without measuring HRV, I'm really plugging it. So if you're online, it's much easier, I think, to overextend people very fast, right? Because you're like, I'm going to kind of guess you can tolerate this amount of training. And training is probably the one thing in their life that you have a fair amount of control over. They're not going to miraculously change their eating and sleeping and all that stuff, like, just because it's Monday, right? Um so I think by having that check of saying, oh, wow, we did Wednesday session and you're pretty stressed out for the next two days after it. Let's see what happens next week. Ooh, same thing happened next week. Now let's modify it and change it right away. Where sadly a lot of online coaches, not everyone, but a fair amount, would just like, oh, here's your program. Just follow it. Just, you know, suck it up there, buttercup, and just keep working harder. You know, and the person just, you know, buries themselves into the ground 
and then they are all stressed out, and then all their other lifestyle choices go to hell, and they can't figure out what happened. And so it's, yeah, I think it's useful to see what level of stress their body interprets that as, because we may not think that it's that stressful, but in reality, if we look at their nervous system, may find that things we thought were stressful are not as stressful, or vice versa. Things we thought that were not too stressful are actually pretty stressful to them. Yeah, or even that recoverability for that individual just isn't adequate for that particular stress load. And that corroborates my personal experience when I was trained online by coaches like Ido Portal and Menno Hanselmans of Bayesian Bodybuilding. Um, They were phenomenal coaches and my results were fantastic, but it was challenging to match my training load with my lifestyle and recovery factors. Um, So I spend a lot of time on the computer And back then I was in a chair all day and some of my nutrition and sleep weren't really optimal, so to speak. And the volume of training that was expected of me, especially with Edo, was very high for my joints and connective tissue and recoverability. And uh, Menno took a much more hands-on approach to the online coaching and he even took into account my heart rate variability readings. So the the sustainability was definitely better. Um, but I'm the type of person that can easily push myself beyond my limits. And then when I burn out, I get demotivated. And so having the objective feedback has personally helped me avoid burnout. And on the flip side, it also let me know when I was under training and uh, when I have excess capacity and energy that's available for use, which, as you mentioned earlier, HRV doesn't only have to be about putting the brakes on. It can also tell you when you can handle more or when maybe you should be doing more if you actually want to reach your goals. Yeah, and a a cool part on that, too, is that your performance may not change, but your HRV may not change, too. So, for example, I have a, a distance client, and we have her do it's a Cooper run test, which we use to determine just aerobic capacity. And it's how far you can run in 12 minutes. And so she did it again this past week before her new program a couple weeks ago. And she did good. She got, you know, just a little bit better than what she had done before. But she said, you know, it felt easier. Heart rate was a little bit better. And then the next day, she usually said, oh, but my HRV is normally pretty bad the next day. Because it's a, you know, it's a pretty stressful test. It's not like a, you know, walk in the park type thing. You're going all out for 12 minutes. And the next day, her HRV was pretty good for the following couple days, where in the past, it always it always tanked pretty hard. So even though her performance was you know, a little bit better, probably right about the same, her cost of performing that now was a lot less. And we had also done some stuff where she was now doing it primarily fasted before she wasn't, so we're changing you know fuel source, that kind of stuff too. So I think that's another thing that HRV is useful for, as it tells you sort of cost and efficiency also. So even though in this case her performance was about the same, she's now able to do it fasted and it doesn't also crush her HRV. So her stress response to that same event is not as high as it was. So therefore, if we wanted to push up that capacity, we would be able to program that much more frequently now where before we were not able to. So I think Performance obviously matters, and I'm a huge fan of tracking all metrics in terms of performance, but the cost that it took you to do that performance also matters. That's where I think HRV can be useful in helping you determine what that cost was of that session. That is 
I've never heard it put that succinctly before so I hope people pick up on the importance of that because I kind of have I even just yesterday I did some Olympic lifting and it's been a while since I've done that so oh fun yeah um, I was a little rusty and uh, I was good to shake off some of that rust and I'm a little bit tender on my uh, on my receiving uh, (laughs) position here but um, you know last night I got a really good night's sleep um, and I've been doing a lot of uh, variety of training lately, so uh, kind of systemically I've been increasing my capacity. And today I'm, I'm pretty good. I felt good uh, waking up. HRV shows me as good. I'm, I'm sore locally in a lot of places, um, but overall um, feeling pretty good. And you know, I, I even had the thought of, of asking you about this. Um, today when I woke up with that experience is that um, you know as far as training definitely can affect heart rate variability and kind of systemic stress levels and recovery levels but uh, would you say that nutrition or sleep has a greater impact on the recovery on average I know everyone's in an individual yeah. um, kind of spot but yeah so so what I found after measuring a whole bunch of people over like four plus years, nutrition from one person to the next will vary a lot. Training stress will vary a lot in terms of their capacity to handle it, right? Like so several years ago, I, I worked with a, a guy who's a natural pro bodybuilder and he had had some movement issues, some shoulder issues and stuff we were working around and been to multiple PTs. Basically, he's cleared for exercise, even though he's got horrific pain, nothing structurally wrong in the shoulder. And so we would have him do like some heavier uh, strength-based exercises, and his HRV would just just tank. And he'd always feel like, oh, man, I don't feel very good. I, I don't want to train the next day. But we'd have him do more volume-based stuff, it's kind of the dude bra, bodybuilding-ish type stuff, even you know, single-joint exercises, 10 to 15 reps range. You know, put in 30,000 pounds of volume day in and day out, probably five days a week. HRV was almost even, and at the end of the week would probably drop off a little bit. So we modified it and said, okay, so like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, he'll do like a squad bench or deadlift to work up to maybe a set of, you know, three to five reps, do some work there, and then just do some volume accessory stuff. Tuesday, Thursday is kind of, I think one day was arm day, one day was lower body day or something like that but much more high-volume bodybuilding-type stuff. HRV was great, made you know great progress, got his shoulder sorted out, that type of thing. Um, another guy I worked with who qualified for Raw Nationals, he could go into the gym, even under his lifestyle being pretty stressful, you know, pretty much four to five days a week, pretty heavy. We're using like a, a DUP-type uh, organization for his lifting, so daily undulating periodization. And... His HRV most of the time was pretty good, and his outside stress was pretty high. Um, if I did even half of that with most people I've ever tried, it just utterly crushes them. <laughs> so for whatever reason, he can handle that. Um, so what I have noticed, though, with sleep is that I haven't seen a single person yet who is not adversely affected by sleep, meaning that if they're doing good at six hours a night, if you get them to seven or eight hours a night, they even do that much better. And so sleep, I have noticed the least amount of quote-unquote variability 
in that, you know, more, you know, seven and a half to nine hours a night, probably somewhere in there. Uh, some people it's even a little bit more, um, is pretty good. Um, the other ones definitely, I think there's a lot more variability there too, but you can also still move in a better direction. You just may not see as much return, right? So if you've got someone coming in, I'll first look at how can I set them up with training so that their HRV is relatively stable, right? Again, training for their goals. Then I may use some nutrition stuff to try to mitigate their big stress day, right? So if there's someone like me who doesn't tolerate as much um, lower rep work per se, meaning my HRV will normally drop for 48 hours, I'll cram as many carbohydrates around that session or that day as I can and that seems to help mitigate that stress response a little bit. So there's things you can do with kind of the interplay, and again, you're looking at probably single digits type things here that can help you get the adaptation you want and then try to lower the overall stress. So therefore you can increase the frequency of training a little bit more. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, and that definitely... Kind of a little long-winded answer, but... No, no, it makes sense, and, and sleep is something that... I find is one of the hardest things to kind of train yourself. If you've been in the habit of not sleeping for, oh, yeah. you know, more than five or six hours a night for most nights, that getting into the habit of, or, or figuring out how to, um, you know, tweak your circadian rhythm or whatever it is you need to do to be able to get that eight hours is very difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, and that's the hard part, and the studies show this too, especially talking with my buddy uh, Dan Party, who he also knows lots of really cool sleep research, that the more sleep-deprived you are, the worse your awareness is of how sleep-deprived you are, <laughs> right? You probably go, yeah, I'm kind of tired, but I can, I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good, you know, and they, they put these people in labs. They make it kind of dark, and you do kind of boring, repetitive tasks, and like, like half of them fall asleep in like 10 minutes, you know? You start removing stimulus from around them, and they just fall asleep. So, yeah, they were pretty sleep-deprived. <laughs> they don't report it that way, though, so that's, that's the tricky part. Mike really knows this stuff inside and out, and he and I have already decided to do a round two with deeper dives into metabolic flexibility and the specifics on nutrition and HRV. In the meantime, you can find more about him personally at MikeTNelson.com or by emailing Dr. Mike at MikeTNelson.com. That's Dr. Mike. And he's also active on Twitter and Facebook as Mike T. Nelson. Uh, links to Mike and the show notes will be posted over at EliteHRV.com slash podcast. And if you found the information in this episode useful, Mike and I would uh, definitely love to hear about it. So uh, one way that you can really help us out tremendously is to stick a short review over on iTunes, even if you listen on another app. Simply search Elite HRV on your iPhone podcast app and then tap that reviews tab or hit up EliteHRV.com slash review and that'll take you there right away and I personally read every single one of those and they really help attract more experts to the show to continue to share their knowledge with us. 
Um, next up, we've got Dr. Eldred Taylor, who's president of the American Functional Medicine Association and 20-year HRV veteran, followed by none other than Andrew Flatt himself, who will also be sharing his knowledge working with elite athletes and sports teams, of course, using heart rate variability and a lot of other neat things. So um, with that, many thanks from all of us on the Elite HRV team. This is Jason Moore signing out. Sponsored by HRVCourse.com. Truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, ELITEPODCAST. Visit HRVCourse.com to get access today.